Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Uh, So it's my pleasure to invite Daniel up here, Daniel Woolridge. If y'all don't know Daniel, um, Daniel has been at Reach for a little over a year now. Uh, Is in his master's right now. He's going to be very educated in about three months, right? Allegedly. Uh, and uh, is pursuing ministry, and we're happy to have Daniel here. He's going to preach the word. So I, I encourage you to listen, not that you wouldn't anyway, um, but listen and be available for what God wants to do through this man right here. So here you go, buddy. This right here is where all the power is at. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, first and foremost, I would like to thank uh, Heath for giving me the opportunity, um, not only because he did it out of the goodness of his heart trying to get me ready um, as I pursue ministry, um, but because I have to for class, and it's amazing to have a church that will let me, um, but also to uh, let you guys know the kind of church that either you are, that you're a part of, or that you're considering being a part of. Um, my wife and I have been here for about a year, maybe it's been some change-ish. We've lost track. Um, but at every single turn, this church has supported us, has encouraged us, has given us opportunities to serve, um, and it's an honor to be a part of this church. So if you're considering, um, I would highly encourage coming to Pizza with the Pastor because the answers are going to be what you want to hear about this church. Um, But to to get started, um, if you saw our Instagram post a couple days ago, um, I had a funny question um, this week, um, was have any of you ever prepared for a long period of time, just worked and worked and worked and worked and finally got to the day where it was time to perform or like taking an SAT where you have to actually give correct answers, get in there or you like for sports, I always come back to sports for me. You get up to the plate and you're like, oh boy, like I'm really not sure about this anymore. Um, Well, we're going to talk a little bit about um, some people who had that opportunity And had to perform um, in the early church. Um, If you're following along in your Bible, it's going to be in Acts chapter 2. Towards the end, we'll start with uh, verse 42. Um, But it was, I just want to share this too to let you know how God is working. Um, I got about halfway through the week this week, and I'm like, all right, so what on earth am I going (laughs) to share? Like, what what, what does God really want me to share? And I had already told Heath that I was going to use this passage, and dumb me went, Last semester for my classes, you went through a whole class on how to prepare a sermon, and your final was writing word for word one out, and you didn't use it. So, everything I assure you today is from God and not from me. Um, but <laughs> as we get in, um, let's, let's open in prayer real quick. God, thank you. Thank you so much for the knowledge that What we're about to go through is from you and assuredly not from any of us. God, I pray today as we open your word um, that we would take it for what you gave it to us. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive it and that you would encourage us to do something about it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. But looking at the example we were talking about of uh, having to perform, um, it's fun how God gives us material. I don't know if any of you watch college football, but uh, the University of Oklahoma played Texas yesterday. 
and they scored about as many points as I did. Um, they played a backup quarterback who is probably the best football player anyone that he knows has ever known. He got in, yeah, I wrote it down here because it's so awesome. He gets to brag to all his friends. He threw 12 passes, six to his team and one to the other one. He threw it 38 yards further than I did and scored zero points. They lost 49 to zero. Encouragement. Like, that's my first start. Yes! Like, oh, great. Coach is going to cut me. Like, that's the thought I had going in of looking at the group we're going to look at, having to perform that first time without Jesus, him going, all right, so, like, I have to play today. Oh, no. And it's okay if we don't get it all right the first time. It's okay if it's not perfect. His poor, beautiful heart tried, and that's all that God asks of us as well. Um, but I, I got to thinking, watching him, this young man's overthinking everything. It's probably because he had about two seconds before he died every single time he touched the ball. But you could just see it. It wasn't fun. Like, if any of you have ever done something you enjoy, it should be a little bit fun. It's not when that's happening. <laughs> because see, he's, like, trying to blame him or him, or is it me, or am I going to have the school to go to? I think a lot of times in church, we overthink things too. Um, we can't be what everybody wants. And I assure you, he was trying yesterday to be what everybody wanted. Um, I saw him try to be Michael Vick and run. He was not very good at that. I saw him try to be Peyton Manning. He wasn't very good at that either. And I, we can be a church that tries to be a flashy church and attract people with awesome worship, which, by the way, we do have. Um, we can try to be a church that does any number of things, but at the end of the day, we can't be what everybody wants. But we can be what everybody needs. Um, as we look to how, how do I know if we're a church that is what someone needs, um, the, the first thing I always try to look for is, all right, so what did Jesus say we're here for? Um, you look in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, the Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you until the end of the age. I'd imagine him telling like that's what he wanted them to do. That's what we're here to do. So we are here to make disciples, to baptize them on the 30th, to teach them, and Jesus is with us while we're doing all of that. All right, so if that's what we're here to do, it's not our purpose to entertain everybody. Like, it's cool to have a church that does really neat things. And Like, I've seen some churches in town that, like, have smoke shows and lights and electric guitar solos. And, like, that's all really cool. And I assure you it reaches somebody. But the fact that I'm up here today, we're not here to entertain you. I mean, it might be entertaining, but that's not the point, I promise. <laughs> but we're not here to entertain, but we are here to evangelize and to edify those that are around us. That's what God called us to, making disciples and teaching us. Two of the things he said to them, that's what we're supposed to do. Again, we can't meet their wants, but their needs. But I keep coming back to this poor boy. Like the, looking at that quarterback on TV yesterday. If he would have simply stopped himself, it would have at least helped. And gone back to the basics. Stop trying to do things that are beyond what you're obviously capable of at the moment. 
what did God say to do? Let's figure that out first. And then we can look at how to, do, to specify it to ourselves afterwards. But am I accomplishing what God called me to first? So, as we open our chapter today in Acts 2, Jesus is gone. He got crucified, came back, is all the way gone. And now everybody gets to figure out, all right, so what now? I've been following this dude for three years. I watched him die, and I watched him bring himself back to life. And then he left me with only that. Like, all right. How? When? Why? Because they're going to try to kill me for doing, like, they just killed him. I believe them they're going to kill me. But the interesting thing that they chose to do, um, and whoever chose the songs today, God was working through you too because they prayed. (laughs) Imagine that. You need an answer from God and you ask him for it. We don't try to figure it out ourselves. Um, But they had a prayer meeting. That's their first reaction to being alone is trying to figure out what Jesus wants from them again. Um, So an event called Pentecost happens. Um, That's in most of Acts chapter 2 leading up to this. And someone acts. Peter decides, all right, so the Holy Spirit is moving through us, and there's lots of people that have confused looks and comments. I'm going to speak. We're going to talk a lot about that today, that we have to actually act on what God gives us. It's a wonderful thing to know everything in this book, but if you memorize this whole book today and leave and don't do anything with it, it's not worth anything. But Peter decides to speak up, and when he does... And I like how the Bible puts this. 3,000 men are saved. All right, so that's the men. There's women, there's children, they have families, they have extended families. This is an enormous impact. Like, can you imagine how encouraging that is right off the bat of not having Jesus? Like, oh, okay, so this is, I'll just go tell him. Sure, fine, I got that. I can talk. Wonderful. But what they did... As, as a group of believers. So obviously they're accomplishing what Jesus wants them to by talking to other people, by what the Pentecost was, was in several different languages that they could not speak. The Holy Spirit allowed them to tell people the miracles that Jesus performed, who he was, in a way that 100% wasn't them. Like you could look at me and I probably don't speak Arabic. Poof. Talking fluently. But what they did, so they get back with all their friends, kind of like if you're part of our small groups on Thursdays, Fridays, Mondays, Tuesdays, about every day, but, you know, we got Sundays too, my bad. Um, but what they did, um, if you'll read with me, um, in Acts 2, 42 to 47, um, and I like, um, uh, at least my Bible in the English Standard Version titles this, chapter, uh, this paragraph, says the Fellowship of Believers. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
So they did four things. They devote. So you notice they chose the word devoted. So they didn't just go do it. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. So they're devoted to Scripture, to knowing what on earth God said for them to do. They were devoted to fellowship and actually knowing one another. Um, they were devoted to breaking bread. And I laughed with Heath this week about this. Um, I imagine everybody in here ate sometime this week. It would be silly if we didn't. Um, but culturally, what eating in someone else's home did back then, it was a very intimate thing. Um, throughout Scripture, Jesus was mocked and ridiculed for eating with those people because it was a very intimate act. You were essentially endorsing who you were with. Like, I associate with these people intentionally. And the last one, uh, easily the most essential part of what they did, was they devoted themselves to prayers. So looking at what they did, um, what God gave me this week, there's a few things that we need to be as a church. There's, there's a few essential things that we need to be to reach our community. See what we did there? So you could reach at reach. But number one, see, I told you it wasn't going to be for the entertainment. But we need a preaching church. Um, and I mean that not for Heath every Sunday, not for what I'm doing right now, for every single person in this room. Um, but if any of you have ever been to what they call a mega church, or if you go to PC3 in town, it's very easy to hide in a church that's that large. But like some churches I've been to that potentially aren't that one, it's even easier to hide in a church that doesn't preach something that requires something of you. It doesn't preach pure scripture that says you have to do this. That action is required. Because if we look at the Great Commission again, go and make disciples. If I'm not doing that, I am immediately not accomplishing what God told me to do. Or at least if I'm not attempting to do it. But we need, we need scripture to be at the core of what our teaching is. Um, in, in our first verse of Arch uh, section to Acts 2.42, so it says they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. That was the very first thing they did, because if you don't get that right, you don't know what you're telling anybody about. It would be silly for me to never know what God said, get up on my, my street corner box, start yelling at people that God said to do this. Go ask them one time, where, where did he tell you? But it would make me look that silly. Um, I saw a quote this week. Um, couldn't figure out who said it, so if they're dead and want credit, here it is. But some very wise man one time said, preach the scripture as it is to men as they are. It's the most simplest, most profound thing I've seen in a long time. Give them the Bible and don't add to it. And meet them right where they are. It reminded me even simpler. Jesus plus nothing is our gospel. There's nothing more than what's in this book. That we need to convey as the message. Of what God wants us to give to someone. And if that's not enough. So it presents a question. Why is scripture so important? Um, if you look at the, the apostles. They didn't have a whole lot of that to go on. 
Like they had, they knew physically Jesus, like he was their buddy. So they went and told, that like they were the ones writing scripture. They couldn't have it. So why is it so important to us? If you look, Paul wrote specifically to young people in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. So this is not only for old adults, not for people that have been to Bible college. This is for, he's talking to young people. Preach the word. Be ready in, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with the complete patience and teaching. He's telling them to be ready the exact same way that any of us were by God. He's saying, hey, this is for you too. Your friends in elementary school need this. Your friends in middle school and high school need this. This is people. This is not some learned thing. But the kicker, Paul gives again for everyone in Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how then will they call on him whom they not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And I would dare to add, how can someone preach unless they know what the Bible says? Scripture is so important because I can't work backwards from that unless I have a knowledge of God that he has blatantly given to each and every one of us. It is the foundation for doing any of the rest of it. But again, we come back, all right, so what are we here for? What are we supposed to do? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This book is what God gave us, not only as a love letter, but as a command of what are you to do, some of how are you to do it. If I'm going to ignore that, why am I paying attention to any of the rest of it? But again, this preaching is not for some, I assure you, I haven't done this in more than a year. It's not for somebody who's practiced. It's for somebody that knows this much and is willing to share that this much. But what, what can I share with someone if I don't know what to share? That's the most fun question in 10 years of youth ministry. I got like, but I don't know what to tell them. I remember at a, a youth camp one time, I had a kid that was super excited about sharing Jesus with people. And he got saved a month before we went to youth camp. Like, well, I mean, what do you know? He said, well, I know John 3.16. I'm like, that's wonderful. Tell him that. You can only tell somebody what you know. I can't explain anything to you about IT, but Brian could. That's why I wouldn't explain it to you. All right, here's what you got. And ten people got saved because of that kid that knew one Bible verse. We used what we got. But talking about using basics, getting back to just, all right, so what's, what do I start with? We talk about sin, salvation, and sanctification. It's the whole process we can go through. We start needing Christ and not knowing it. Salvation brings us to following Christ. And sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. I'll give them their whole life scope all in one sentence. I'm going to scare them to death. But as we move forward, so we need a preaching church. We need a praying church. Um, honestly, this could be its own sermon, so I'm just going to kind of hit the highlights here. Because um, if we don't get this one right, there's no power to what we're doing. Um, again, in Acts 2.42... 
They devoted themselves to the teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayers. Like we talked about with, with Peter, the early church, you started with a prayer meeting. Peter acts. So you started with a prayer meeting. It didn't just Peter go out and preach this awesome sermon and thousands of people got saved. They prayed first. God moved. And then something happened. If you look through history, any great revival that happened in our country, in Europe, anywhere on the face of the earth, began by being bathed in prayer. Any successful one, that is. Because that's the power behind what anything is going to happen when you open Scripture. Um, the man who started my university, Dr. Jerry Falwell, said it this way, and I, I'll never let go of this statement. He said, nothing of eternal significance ever happens apart from the power of prayer. First time I heard that, it kind of hit me. I'm like, all right, so nothing I do is ever going to matter if I don't pray about it. Awesome. I probably ought to do a little bit of that. But we look here, again, Paul in Philippians chapter 4. He writes, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I know how many of you are extremely outspoken in sharing Christ. First time you go to do that, it's a little nervous. I remember the first time I tried to do it, I was in about 10th grade on a basketball court. In case you're considering, that's not a great place to start. And nobody wants to hear, that's not what they're there for. They don't want to, I'm like, all right, fine. But when we pray before it happens, I don't have to be nervous about it. I don't have to wonder, well, is this going to do anything? What are they going to think of me? I have the peace of God that passes any understanding I could possibly think I could draw from logic or the world if I begin with prayer. So we have a preaching church, a praying church. We need a personable church. Because who wants to go to church with nobody that likes them? Who wants to come to a church with nobody else? I'm like, hey, how you doing? Just walking like, oh, we're here. All right. What's next? That would be really awkward. Um, This is the, in Acts 2, both the fellowship and covering the breaking of bread as well. Um, but it goes a little bit further. The middle portion. And all who believed had all things in common, sold their possessions, uh, and they distributed to everyone as they needed, went to temple together, had food together, and were gen- they, were, they received it with generous hearts. So, I mean, they were giving stuff away and they were happy. I know that that ain't what America tells us. Like, sweet, give us all your money. And you'll be happier. Like, I, I thought I was supposed to save my money. Like, my kids got, well, I got to trust my kids to take care of me. All right. But it's not exactly what we're talking about. This is not some, hey, give everything to the church. I mean, if God moves you, that's got you between you and God. But this is a community building. This is a, hey, I'm going to lose my house if I don't do this. And helping someone figure out at least a place to live. 
someone telling a friend sharing intimately, hey, we don't have food at our house and being willing to take them to the store and get them some food. Sharing, having all things in common. But it's easy to look at Christ and how he kind of contorted that, but really was trying to teach us how to do that with people that aren't in this particular room. To have intimacy with people that are outright openly in sin is okay. I don't have to condone your sin to be warm and welcoming to you, to be a place that you can come to and share and hopefully at some point ask questions. You watch Jesus all over Scripture, and we'll get to an example in Luke in just a second. Like I said earlier, he was always with, quote, those people. He never told them, yeah, that's cool. Like, go be with people that ain't your wife. Well, yeah, that's fine. Steal from everybody that you know. That's, that's wonderful. I'm proud of you. But he did offer them the chance to follow what he had taught, which is why that they were where they were. They came to him. Like, <clears throat> you look at Luke 19, on uh, the story of Zacchaeus. This is a tax collector that's stealing from everyone, robbing them blind four or five times what he's supposed to take from them. And he comes down out the tree, and it says, he hurried down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, so when the Pharisees, when the officials saw it, they all grumbled that he is going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. If only they knew that that's you too, buddy. That you ain't got it right and you think you do and that's more dangerous. But being able to offer a warm embrace or, heaven forbid, care about somebody else that's living differently than we choose to. Like I know our, our country and our world right now is telling you that that's super not okay. The Bible says it's fine. You're allowed to love people that vote differently than we do, that spend their money differently than we do, that do both of those in a way that we think is terrifyingly wrong. We can still love them and not what they do. And the cool thing about that is if I'm capable of extending any of that love, the outcome is it could be the reason that they come back to, to church next week because heaven forbid someone said, hey, how are you, and stopped and listened to the answer. It could be the reason that they see a difference in who we are rather than everyone else they see at Walmart in about two hours that's angry at the world. But ultimately, it could be a reason that they meet Jesus because maybe we're the one person that they've run into that, Cares this much. And quite frankly, it's usually going to be the person that's surprised, like, dude, I just kind of offered for you to come to lunch with us. Like, I'm glad that meant so much to you. But it could be the difference in that kind of change in someone's life. John 13, 35 tells us that by this, people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And it extends first intimately in our church body out into our community. All right. So next, we've got all these kinds of churches. You've got to have a positive church. you got a church where everybody's just complaining, would you go back? I wouldn't want to. But we have to be positive. If you look at any discussion about Christianity, what's the first thing that comes up? 
All right, so there's a lot of answers to that. We're going to generalize them. What are y'all against? All right, well, the Presbyterians don't like this. The Baptists don't dance or drink. They don't do this. They think you're the devil. Like, it's all these horrible things that divide and cause argument. That's all that we're known about. I haven't seen that anywhere in this book just yet. But it's 100% worldwide what our church is known for. The attitude we take into someone's experience with us and seeing the Christ that we live rather than just the words that they know from CNN can be part of the problem or the solution. Because I can go into work one day and just complain and complain and complain about people at church. They're probably going to think I have a messed up church. And quite frankly, all of us are a little messed up, but in a little different way we're talking now. But I could speak life into that situation too and how that we could solve an issue, how we could help a person instead of just dwelling on the negative. Because quite honestly, every church that you've seen, and quite frankly, I live about three-quarters of a mile that way. There's nine in between this one and that one. Every church is going to have some issues. And if one of them, and we're not talking about being doctrinally sound here, if one of them causes you to leave because it makes you uncomfortable, be prepared. There are new and exciting issues waiting at the next one you wind up at. They're all different. You get to experience them all brand new, but they're going to tick you off just the same. (laughs) But... It's all because, and this is going to hit home for a lot of us because all of us are one of these, it's because we're people. People have some issues. People go through hard times in life and deal with it in ways that aren't perfect. People make some wrong decisions, some that impact a lot of people, some that just make them kind of look silly for a day or two. But in Romans 3, Paul says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all mess up. We get to do it in spectacular different ways. But looking at people, Jesus said in Mark 2, he heard it and said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick instead. I come not to call righteous, but to call the sinners. So he's dealing with people with a wrong heart here. But as I look at people that I disagree with, First of all, I have to consider that maybe I'm the person in the wrong here. Just maybe. I know, I don't know about any of you, I don't make mistakes ever. I'm always right. I win the arguments except we're with my wife. But Jesus came to call sinners. He came to heal sinners. And that should be where our heart's at. Being a positive church, reaching out a hand to help rather than being like, a Pharisee in, in Scripture and saying, but you didn't, but you don't, but you you wore that to church. The effect positivity can have on someone, again, could be the difference of them rejecting church or meeting Jesus that same day. All right, so we've got a positive church, and this one's going to scare some people, especially you've been in church for a little while, so hang on. We need a progressive church. I don't mean progressive like we don't need safe spaces in church. We're not bowing to every objection to scripture that's ever happened. This is a different word than 
what the media will want us to know. Um, we have to stand for something. And if you're catching on for where we've been, Scripture is where we have to start. Um, it reminded me of the old cheesy saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Like, yeah, I know it's a little cheesy. I remember hearing that in middle school and thinking, oh, well, no kidding. But if you're not moving towards something, if you don't start with Scripture to know what you're intended for, what we're supposed to be moving towards, how could you possibly not hear something different and know the difference? There's a lot of people doing what I'm doing right now in different churches that are using something that isn't this book. And if each and every one of us aren't in it for ourselves, seeking after God for ourselves, seeking more knowledge of him for ourselves, it'd be really hard to figure out what it says here and what they said there. And you wouldn't know at that point if they're different. But being progressive is about working as a church towards that common goal. Um, Again, I said earlier that actions are important. God doesn't call us to know everything about them. He calls us to also do something with what we do know. So I'm going to repeat part of that. God also doesn't call us to know everything about them. It's okay if we start doing this before because no one that I've all the commentaries I've read, John Piper, Francis Chan, they know a little bit about Jesus. There's no way for us to possibly know everything there is to know about an endless God. But what we do know, he has called us to use and put into action, simply in an effort to show a little bit of Christ to the world that's around us right then. But I've got a few more minutes. Uh, I've got a fun story about progress. Any of you that like baseball will really appreciate this, and any of you that have never seen an inning of baseball in your life, you'll still think it's funny, I promise. So, just a kind of as a precursor, um, the third date I ever took my wife on was to a Nationals game at, for the World Series in 2019. I know I really stepped it up. Took her to a sports game and got frisked by the CIA or whoever it was with the president. But... Starting there, uh, this last summer, I thought it was going to be romantic. We were going on vacation up north, passing through. I'm like, hey, I'm a surprise. I'm going to get a hotel in D.C. We're going to go to a baseball game, recreate that. I'll get some brownie points. Like it was a, I thought it was a smart idea. It might have been. But we're sitting in right field, so you can see everything. My favorite players, right field. I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And they absolutely, they're the worst team in baseball this year. They're spectacular. I think they won, every game they won, I think they lost five. It was great. But this game, they decided, you know what, because Daniel and Jennifer are there, we're going to absolutely whip their tails. Like I, they had a grand slam. I think the score at the end was like 12 to 2. But as it went on, there were some fans from, from Milwaukee, the other team, that were sitting right behind us, and I assure you these were the most hopeful people on the face of the earth. <laughs> because at some point, I think it was like 9 to 0. And the comment, I, I, I wrote it down. This guy speaks up, just making fun of me. He says, all right, now we're only down two grand slams and an extra run, but we've got a person on second base. Here we go. 
thought, oh, good Lord, if we had that, if we could put that to use, we'd be in business right now. <laughs> like, man. And the whole game, from then on, just you hear him clapping, progress, progress. They didn't move too much further. We're going to move it a little further than that that day. But making just a little progress and being okay and celebrating. All right, so we, did, we didn't score the home run. We're not winning the game, but look, we're moving forward, all right? We can celebrate the little things. You look at the end of our chapter here, or our, actually this is a chapter. Um, in verse 47, it said they were praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Ultimately, that's the progress we're looking for. It's not a lot of things that we have to do to achieve it either. It seems like you have to, well, I have to be perfectly sound with God and know my doctrine perfectly. And it says that nowhere in here. Like these, most of these people were fishermen and tent makers. I think I can get up with a person that goes fishing every day on the logic meter, so I can do this. But am I doing the things that we've talked about that open the door for God to move and bring that salvation? I'm going to go ahead and invite our worship team back up here. But as we draw to an end today, I'll ask the question that I asked at the beginning again. How can we be a church that's needed in our world or culture? There's a lot of churches that are wanted um, there's a lot of churches that will tell you that you can get what you want if you just do this, brother. But there's there's a few things that, that are essential for this to happen, for us to be needed by everyone around us. First thing is every member of our church needs to know the purpose of church, of our church. So we're going to look back in Acts chapter 2. They were devoted to the scriptures to know the purpose of their church. What did Jesus say the purpose of our church was? Every member needs to know and care for others inside the church and outside equally. They devoted themselves to fellowship and breaking of bread. You've got to know those people and you've got to grow to actually know those people. Um, I'll give a shameless plug. Life groups, community groups, whatever you want to call them, that's the... The easiest place these relationships are ever formed. Um, it is the reason my wife and I are at this church, particularly, is because when we were looking for a church, we were already part of one of those here and had those relationships here and knew that they cared. Every member must be using the strongest tool that they have prayer constantly. Says in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves to prayers. And finally, every member must act and do their part. There's two things to this one as we close. It takes action to do what God has called us to do individually. When God calls us to do something, He's called several of you to do very different things than I do. I hope, because I'm not very good at many of the things y'all do. But it takes action by each individual one of us to accomplish what God called us to do. But it takes all of us together to accomplish his will in our lives and our community. Because if it's, if it's just me, I assure you, there's no chance it has any reach beyond what I was given. If I learn to fellowship and break bread and know intimately 
the members of my church and grow together with them. It's an impact of a community rather than just a single person. If you guys would um, pray with me. Father, (laughs) thank you for your word. Thank you for the example that you gave us, your apostles, your disciples, and everyone that chose to believe that gave us this example. God, I pray that we would have the commitment. God, I pray that we would have the boldness to know who you are, to know what you are, and simply act on what you've called us to do. To not be afraid of what someone might think, to not be afraid of not having an answer, but to be able to be loved to someone. To be able to share the basics of who you are and why we believe in you based on your word. God, I pray that we would deepen our knowledge and our relationship with you so that we would be prepared to do what you called us to do when you give us the chance. God, I pray that this week that you challenge our hearts to either be or grow further into this kind of believer that you've given us the example to be so that we can be the church that's needed instead of the church that's wanted. Lord, we thank you for the fact that right now, as a church, we can come to you. We can pray to the creator of everything and simply ask for what you've told us to do already. God, give us the ability to get out of our way and just do it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com. 